We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If you guys will go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. We also have it on your listening guides. Um, Before we jump into the text, has anybody ever read the book Alexander and his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? If your parents, you probably read it. Okay, well, since you haven't read it, uh, we've got a few pictures for you here. First of all, the book starts off, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink. While the water is running, and I could tell that it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Anybody ever had a day like that? At school, Miss Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture at the Invisible Castle. When I went to bed, Nick took the pillow he said I could keep. And the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that. So as as we find ourselves in Philippians, Paul finds himself in what could be considered a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year or two. Because he's writing from a Roman prison. And I just can't imagine what it would be like to be chained. Every six hours he's chained to a different guard throughout the day. He is allowed to share his faith as people come. And he's allowed to preach as, as guests come into the prison. But yet he finds himself as a prisoner. So we're going to talk about what it's like to have joy even in the midst of suffering. And many here today are going through suffering. Some of you have lost family members, loved ones. Some of you are experiencing physical difficulties or people in your family. So suffering is a real situation in the world. It's a real happening. God originally created the world as perfect. But because of sin entered in the world, Genesis chapter 3, ever since Adam and Eve took the fall, there's been sin ever since. So suffering, sickness, and sin is never God's fault. It it has to do with sin entering the world. But what we're going to find out is God is in the world to try to lighten the load, to try to help us out of sickness, out of suffering. And he's got an ultimate plan that culminates when we meet our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in heaven. But before we jump into the text, we have to draw a distinction between joy and happiness. I was listening to a message recently by Greg Surratt. He's the pastor of Seacoast, and he brought up a few points I wanted to bring to you. Happiness is what happens to you. Joy is what's produced in you. In other words, whenever life is going well, I can be happy. Happiness is based upon happenings. Joy is something so much deeper. The second thing he brings up is happiness is based upon the facts. Joy is based upon faith. If I go and I have a doctor's report and it's negative, am I going to be happy? No, because the facts say that I have something wrong with me. But how many of you know that faith is above facts? And God can overturn anything he so desires. Amen? It makes me think of a few months ago I had a a bad leg injury. And uh, Brother Kirby over here said, God's going to heal you. Keep praying. And I'm like, all right, I'm trusting. And sure enough, he healed and I didn't have to have surgery. and, And God is able, fully able. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy is relational. So happiness is based upon the circumstances. If they're good, I have happiness. If they're bad, I'm not happy. 
But joy flows out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. So I can have joy no matter what as long as I have faith in Jesus Christ. And one more I wanted to add to Surratt's um, points is happiness is an experience, but joy is the byproduct of knowing Jesus Christ. So you can experience happiness and it comes and goes. And even the very things that make you happy, sometimes they can make you angry. Let's say you buy the new car you're looking for. Does that make you happy? Some of you just bought a car recently. But then you have the buyer's remorse. Have you ever experienced that? You buy something, you're like, should I really have done that? And then you see the sticker shock of the payment that comes in. And that happiness all of a sudden turns into, what did I just do? Or for some of you who just signed up for a new cell phone plan or a contract, you're getting that two-year contract and you're like, I want to get out of it. I was happy, but now I'm not. So joy is something so much deeper. Since it's summertime, I'll give one more analogy and then we'll jump into the text. Happiness is kind of like the kiddie pool in a swimming pool. Joy is kind of like the deep. And the kiddie pool is fun until circumstances change and all the kids have to evacuate the pool. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Joy is so much deeper that it's in over your head. Your feet don't hit the bottom. So that's a little distinction between happiness and joy. If you will, turn in your Bibles again to Philippians 1. We're starting in verse 12. And I'll have it on the screen as well for those of you who don't have your scripture in front of you. It says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me... Notice happening, happen, happen. Circumstances. They've actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. So here's the background. Paul is being chained to palace guards. And what's interesting is these palace guards, many of them perhaps are the chief bodyguards to the emperor of Rome. So he thinks he's in chain, but now he's able to share the gospel with the people who are going to affect Roman culture. And he says, uh, they realize that my chains are in Christ, verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are more bold to speak the word without fear. So what you thought would be hindrance, right, circumstances, and would stop Christians from witnessing, Paul said, listen, the gospel is still going out. You can't chain God's word. So even Christians are saying, well, Paul can preach in prison. Surely I can preach in my job. Surely I can share the faith in my everyday lifestyle. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Pause a second before we go on to the next scripture. Have you ever met anybody that was in Christianity for the wrong reasons or in ministry for the wrong reasons and you could just sense something was off there? Well, Paul said, I I, I know many people like that. They're in it for the wrong reasons. They're in it to make their platform, selfish ambition, whatever it may be. But he said, even though the messenger may be messed up, the message is still getting across. And that's what's changing lives. So the message always trumps the messenger. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, talking about getting out of prison, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Notice the two things he talks about is deliverance. Prayer and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for those of you who have experienced a lost loved one, for those of you who are concerned about death, if you're in Christ, listen to this verse. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Wow, that's a beautiful We're going to talk about that in a moment. Verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to remain in the flesh is needful for you. Verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy of faith. Notice the joy of faith. I have that circled in my scriptures how faith and joy are interrelated. Whenever you have joy, it's because you have faith. When you lose faith, the joy is diminished. And finally, verse 26, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Let's pray together. Father, your word is powerful. And Lord, I know there's many people who are in circumstances um, not too far from Paul's. They find themselves in a certain prison. They find themselves shackled up in chains. And I pray that as we look into your word, God, that we would realize that sometimes the worst thing that happens to us can turn into something that's the best thing, eternally speaking. So, Lord, open our eyes to the truth and help us to be forever changed. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen. So what do you do when you find yourself in circumstances that are not favorable. What do you do, like Paul, he's in a prison, and some of you, obviously you're not in prison because I'm, I'm seeing you today. Some of you listening online may be in prison. But what do you do when your, your job feels like a prison? You sign up for this job, but you realize it's not what you thought it would be. For those of you going back to school, you think going into your senior year or freshman in college, this is going to be great. It's a new class, a new student, and it's not what you thought it would be. What about if you enter into a relationship with a significant other and it's not what you thought it would be? How do you see through that and get God's perspective? Well, I'm glad you asked those questions. I'm going to give you four basic snapshots of what it's like to have joy no matter what the circumstances. The first one is this. God can take even your worst circumstances and use it for good in the lives of others. Many of you have heard of the great evangelists, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great famous British evangelist. But some of you have not heard of his wife. Um, we got a picture, actually. There's Charles Spurgeon, and here's a picture of his wife. That's probably not the best picture of her. <laughs> but uh, his wife, Susanna, they, they, they fell in love, and they got married, and they thought they were going to live a happily ever after. They, and I could see her walking down in her beautiful white dress. They get married, and he's got this amazing ministry going on. And Spurgeon, you know, is in London, great ministry. And all of a sudden, Susanna has this accident that makes her an invalid. And she's not able to get around. And, and the church is like, what's, what's going to happen to her? I mean, she's like disabled. And so they think, well, at least she'll be able to encourage her husband. She'll be able to pray for him. But you know what? As she was doing those things, God put on her the desire... So you know what? There's a lot of other people out there that, that need help. 
And she had this idea from the Lord to start a book ministry for pastors who couldn't afford to buy books. And her husband had a lot of books. So what she did is she started a book ministry. And as her husband ran into pastors who couldn't afford books, um, she would loan out her husband's books. And this grew over time. So towards many years later, people would donate to what was called the book fund. And it's been estimated she's helped thousands of pastors have the tools needed for ministry that she otherwise wouldn't have been able to help had she not started this fund. And the amazing thing is she did it all from her home. So you can imagine this woman, horrible circumstances, but she decided, you know what? I'm not going to let the fact that I can't get around stop me. I'm going to minister to people. I'm going to minister to these pastors and think about how many people they impacted. So she could have said, circumstances are horrible. I'm going to get bitter or I'm going to move forward and do something different. In life, we have two choices. When bad things happen, we can get bitter and we can use this to draw us away from God. And we can hate God, we can turn from God, or we can say, I'm going to turn this setback into something great. And the one, the one road leads down to a road to nowhere, but loneliness, hurt, and despair. The other one leads down to a road of purpose, that this horrible thing that happened is now turned into something beautiful. Amen? So let's look at back at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me... Now, what, what's going on to Paul? He finds himself in prison. If you were in prison, would you feel like it was a good thing or a bad thing? Pretty bad, right? Paul was, had a desire to go to Rome, and he thought he was going to go to Rome as a preacher. He didn't realize he was going to go as a prisoner. But while he was chained up, he realized that you may chain me, but the word of God you can't chain. You may try to stop me, but you can't stop God. And Satan, you've actually overplayed the deck of cards because now the palace guards who are, who are impacting Roman culture are coming to me. It's not me going to them. They're, they're actually chained for me six hours a day. And there's four shifts each day. So while you're chained to me, how would you like to hear my six-hour sermon? And by the way, you can't beat me because I'm a Roman citizen. So Paul turns his setback into a setup for ministry. And the furtherance of the gospel, that word furtherance in the original Greek, it literally means pioneer advance. And what it means is to be a trailblazer. So he's saying, listen, I'm in prison, but I'm advancing the gospel. So we've got to define what gospel is, because we say a lot in church, but what exactly is gospel? When Paul says, I'm advancing the gospel, what he's saying is the gospel is a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for 33 years. He died a cruel death on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. So the bad news is that you and I are sinners and we we need forgiveness. The good news, the gospel, is that even though you and I are sinners, Christ paid the debt for our sin. And if you will place your faith in him and him alone, he will cancel your debt, he'll give you eternal life, and you will live forever no matter what. Amen? That's the good news. So the things that happen to me. So it's not about what happens to you. It's what happens in you that really matters. Think about that. It's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you. Because you and I cannot control all the circumstances in our life. Yes, we can affect some of them. But we are, we are not in control of all the things that happen to us. But we are in control of who we turn to when things get bad. We are in control of how we let it affect us. Do situations allow us to grow closer to God or do they turn us bitter? 
Um, I don't think Susie's here today, but um, Susie Reed is a special lady in her church. She started coming a few months ago. And uh, as, you, as many of you know, uh, her husband was my high school teacher. One of the things you didn't know about him, um, he passed away a, a few weeks ago. But about a week and a half, two weeks before he passed away, we went out to lunch after church. And uh, David tells, us, tells me the story. I'm sure he would love for me to tell you today. But he said, you know what happened? When I got a heart attack, I thought that was the worst thing that could ever happen. But it actually became the best thing that ever happened. I'm like, what are you talking about? How can a heart attack be the best thing that ever happened to you. And he said, when I had a heart attack, guess who was my nurse? I'm like, who? Susie. She took care of me. And I met the love of my life while I was in the lowest situation of my life. So he said, if it had not, had not been for the heart attack, I would not have met Susie, who was his nurse. He went on to say, spiritually, God had softened his spiritual heart because of the situation to where he had more love than he ever had before. He said, you know, if it wasn't for that... God wouldn't have brought him to where he was spiritually. So it was a horrible... No one would choose a heart attack, right? But God can use even the worst circumstances to bring out something good. Amen? So Paul says, my chains are in Christ. They were chaining Paul up, but they didn't realize that they were really the ones who were captive. Paul was free to share the gospel, and they were chained to him. So I just can only imagine how many people in the palace guard Caesar's very own bodyguards, many of them, came to faith in Christ. I can just only imagine the impact that he had. It says in 2 Timothy 2.9, a parallel scripture, he says, And because I preach the good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. So I just want to ask a question of application. What chains are in your life? What horrible circumstances that you feel like if you wish you could change, you, you would, What chains are holding you back? What if God wants to use the chains of misery to be the doors of opportunity to share the good news? What if the worst thing that ever happened to you could be the the best thing that ever happened to you? That's only possible through a supernatural miracle of God. There may be a mother here today that you have children and you, you feel like your husband is not helping you as he should. He works all the time. When he comes home... Guess what? You're still watching the kids. And you're like, I I don't know how to get over this. There may be a gentleman in his 40s, late 40s, that thinks, you know, I thought I'd be so much further in my career, but I'm not. And I'm really not happy in my job, and I don't know what's going to happen. There may be a senior adult here that thought retirement was going to be the best time of my life, and no one told me I'd have these health issues. No one told me I'd have surgeries and back pain and problems. I thought retirement was traveling to the Bahamas with my soulmate and traveling the world, but now I have these health issues. What if the chains that bind you today are what God is going to use to bring others closer to Him along with yourself? There may be a single here today that said, Timothy, will someone ever love me? I've been waiting so long to get married. Will someone ever love me? What if God wants to use that singleness that you think is a chain to have more time to serve until God does send you what he has for you? Amen. So the chains that trouble you today could be the very tools that God uses tomorrow to make an internal impact upon the world around you. Winston Churchill once said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. Paul says, because of this, 
because of my chains and I'm, I'm doing fine. He says many people have boldness to share the gospel. So what if you, you're under hard circumstances. If you, if you give it to the Lord and God supernaturally empowers you to see it differently, others will gain courage from your courage. Courage give birth to courage and cowardice gives birth to cowardice. Whatever emotion that you exhibit to others, it's contagious. So let me ask you, the, the people around you, are you giving birth to courage? Are you giving birth to fear? Are, are you fanning the flame of faith in others? Or are you extinguishing it in others? May the Lord help us. So number one, God can take even your worst circumstances and use it for good in the lives of others. The second thing, how God can take horrible circumstances and bring good out of it. Number two, I realize that life is not about me. Ouch. That hurts. It's kind of like uh, Rick Warren in his purpose-driven book. His first sentence is, life is not about you. That hurts. But it's all about leading others into relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verses 15 through 18. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and others from goodwill. Now, how many of you know others that say, I'm, I don't go to church, I'm not a Christian, because so-and-so? I mean, I hear that all the time. This preacher that let me down, or this person. Paul would say, listen, you got your focus on the wrong person. It should be the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, not on some preacher not on someone at church that hurt your feelings. That, that's the wrong focus. It's not about you. It's about Christ, and it's about your witness to others. On the screen are, are two pastors, John Wesley and George Whitfield. They both have really cool hairstyles. I wish I could pull off the George Whitfield mullet, but can't grow it that thick. So, But what you may not realize, they both were English preachers, but they saw different on doctrinal issues. They had a difference of opinion. So one of the followers um, basically said uh, to John Wesley, John, do you think you'll see George Whitfield in heaven? And to his surprise, John Wesley said, no, I do not. Excuse me? You think George Whitfield's not a converted man? And I'm sure there's this dramatic pause knowing John Wesley. And he said, I, I don't think I'll see him because he's going to be so much closer to the throne room of God. And I'll be so far back, I will not be able to see him. So even though they had difference of opinion on theological issues, he held them in respect for his commitment to Christ. And shouldn't we be that way? I mean, so many times in churches we get over arguments over the slightest differences in doctrine when our focus should be on Jesus Christ, not on how you view the gifts of the Spirit or not how you view this issue. I mean, we all have different opinions. But as my dad always tells me, who's sitting in the back, keep the main thing the main thing. Let's, let's keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Amen. So, verse 18, he concludes, What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and this I will rejoice. So the main thing is, is even though the messenger is flawed, and by the way, your, your favorite pastor, hopefully it's me, but your favorite pastor, whoever he may be, is flawed. And that's why I, I just want to give you the permission not to put me higher on a, I, I'm a, I'm a clay vessel. And as soon as you put anyone on a pedestal, they'll let you down. The only one that needs to be on a pedestal is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that deserves their attention, our affection, our, our, our true undividing love, because people will let you down. Jesus Christ will never will. I, I, so many stories in my life of pastors that I looked up to, another scandal, another situation, and uh, God forbid that ever happened to anyone. But the point is, we can't get sidetracked. We've got to keep our eyes fixed. It says in the book of Hebrews, on the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, 
who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He did it for you. Amen. Number three. The best life is yet to come. So for some of you who thought your best life now, I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but your best life is not now. Scripturally, it's yet to come. So uh, you can have a great life now, but the best life is when you're face to face with Jesus Christ in a glorified body. So your best life is not now, it's, it's to come. Look, look at verse number 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of Jesus Christ. By the, word, by the way, that word supply, in the Greco-Roman culture, it was used of a wealthy merchant who would, uh, there would be like a, a drama team or a musical chorus come by, and this wealthy merchant would pay the needs of that chorus group. So basically what this is saying is God is going to supply the Holy Spirit w- w- without measure, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you through the situation. So Paul's like, even though I'm chained to this guard, God's given me the supply of the Holy Spirit, the beautiful supply of the Holy Spirit, that he's going to lift me above these circumstances. He's going to help me through it. Amen. And it, Paul enters into a struggle. He's, he's like, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to be ashamed. In other words, what if I lose my courage? What if I let God down? What if in this prison I lose the faith? He's like, I don't want that to be. I, I don't want to be ashamed. But with all boldness, he says, I want Christ to be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So here is Paul's one aim. I want God to be glorified. In the original Greek, the word magnified means to make larger. And you're like, well, why would you need to make God larger? Isn't he larger than life? Well, think of it like this. Whenever you look at a distant planet, many of our planets are multiple times larger than the sun. But because they're so far, far, far away, you have to look through a what? Telescope in order to see it closer and Even the view that you see of it is very small compared to how big it really is. Here's the picture. We as Christians should be telescopes. When people look through our life, they get a picture of Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus is closer and closer. And you'll never see him as he really is. I mean, none of us can fully comprehend how large and vast and amazing God is. But could you give them a little picture of Jesus Could you give them a little piece of hope that even they're in hard circumstances, when I look through your life, I get a picture of Jesus Christ? So when Paul says magnify, I want Christ magnified. And he's saying, I want to be like a little telescope that when people look through my life, whether I live or I die, they get a picture of Jesus. And that's that's a beautiful aim. Uh, I would affirm that. And he says that, verse 21, for to me to live is what? Christ and to die is. Now, did you know that only when you put Christ in the equation can you end up dying as gain? I mean, let's do an experiment. For me to live as money and to die as what? Leave it all behind. For me to live is to gain power. To die is to lose it all. For me to live is to be popular. To die is to be forgotten. For me to live is. To collect all that I can, store up all that I can. To die, well, who's, who's going to have it? Only when you put Jesus in the scenario of your life, in the center of your life, that when you live, you live for Christ. You have his presence. You have him with you. You're able to make impact. And to die is actually gain. Now, think most of us think his death is a bad thing, right? Someone dad, died. I'm so sorry. My condolences but if you look from this verse, if you're a Christian, when you, when, you, when you die, 
You're actually promoted. It's like you've graduated. It's not a bad thing for the Christian. It's actually God has just opened up so much more. My, my grandmother, uh, she passed away a few years ago, well, my mother's mom. Um, and she was the type, she never talked about death, never talked about dying. In fact, funeral homes, she would drive around them. She would not even drive in front of funeral homes. She was superstitious. But on the day she died, she talked about her death, her funeral, everything. Clear mind. She knew what was happening. She had peace. We are actually singing the good old hymns in her hospital room. She knew she was dying that day. And um, the Lord gave me this picture for her. Maybe it will help you. My, my, my grandmother was a wandering soul. She would always try to move from place to place in hope of getting a better place. And it's like grandma's moving again from house to apartment, uh, everywhere. So I gave her this picture. It's like, grandmother, imagine if you lived in the slums. And imagine if you had a relative that passed away and gave you this mansion on a beautiful green meadow lush hilltop. Whenever you move from the slum to the mansion, would you ever want to go back to the slum again? What do you think she said? Of course you would. Even if you live in the nicest mansion, God blesses you with the nicest mansion here in the world, when you compare it to heaven, you're just living in a slum. Because we live in a fallen world and we're going to a perfect world. So that's why Paul says, listen, for me to live is Christ and to die, it's gain. It's so much better. So let us never fear death again if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the gospel's there. You can receive it and you can say the same thing as Paul. If I die, it's gain. So that's such a beautiful picture that when you live, it's Christ. But when you die, it's far better. So the best life is not now. The best life is yet to come. Amen? All right, let's continue on. Number four. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I realize that God has a purpose for my life. Uh, Something Pastor Adam, our youth minister, can do with the youth is called the mirror test. Whenever you put, put a mirror and you put it to your face, if you fog it up, it means you still have breath and you're still living. If you pass the mirror test, it means God still has purpose and destiny for you. Look at, look at the next verse, verse 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, that is the body, is more needful to you. And being confident of this, I know I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress of faith and joy. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now, what's interesting is you back up in a verse before, verse 25. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, what's interesting, that word depart, does anybody remember what Paul's uh, trade was, what he did for his marketplace job? He was a tent maker. He actually uses a tent maker term. The word depart literally means to roll up your tent in search of another place. So here's the picture. He said, whenever I die... I'm simply rolling up my earthly tent and I'm going to a permanent place called heaven. I'm trading my tent on the earth for a mansion in the sky. So it's far better. It's something far, far better. A little girl was taking a walk one day with her father and they were looking up into the dark night sky. And as they saw the stars, the little girl said, Daddy, if this is the wrong side of heaven and it's this beautiful, imagine what the other side looks like. If the wrong side of heaven is this beautiful. An unknown author was talking about death and dying and the whole experience. And he said, when I was young, I thought of heaven as a place with spires, uh, streets of gold, a place where there's angels, 
that's kind of what crossed my mind. But he said, whenever I lost my little brother, I thought of heaven as a person, as a place with a person that I knew and I loved about and cared about. And as I lived, more people went on there, and I thought of heaven as a place that had inhabitants to which I know and love. And he said, whenever I lost my own child, unfortunately this person lost his child, he said, I no longer thought of heaven as just a place. I thought of it as a place with people where there is a treasure waiting for me. So now when I think of heaven, I don't just think of a place. I think of the people in the place and where my Lord Jesus Christ is. Some of you know that sentiment. You used to think of heaven as just a place, but now there's people waiting for you on the other side. You ever go on the vacation and it's fun, it's great, but you ever went to a vacation where there's people you know there? Isn't that much more enjoyable? I'm going to a place where there's a person I know. They're going to show me around town. Heaven is a place where there's people who are waiting for us. So Paul says, listen, I want to remain here and I can do ministry But my desire is one day I want to leave this world behind and go in search of being in the place where there's people, especially the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Anybody here heard of Joni Erickson Tata? Some of you have heard of her. Many, many people have not heard of her in the younger generations. A few things about her. In 1967, a driving accident left her paralyzed from the neck down. And when she was in this situation, she asked her friends just to end her life. She thought her life was over. She wasn't born this way. But because of the accident, she was paralyzed. And somehow the Lord got a hold of her and said, Joni, I spared your life for a purpose. Don't give up on me. And all of a sudden, her bitterness and her hurt and wanting God just to take or turn into, I'm going to use this as an opportunity for the gospel. And some of you, anybody read her autobiography titled Joni? Um, she published this autobiography and it became worldwide famous. They made a movie about her life that's translated in many languages. And it's been said that Joni, because of her injury and her accident, has impacted more lives than she ever could without the injury. Now, would she ever choose the injury? Absolutely not. Does she struggle with it today? Yes. But what she would say is, what has happened to me has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Those things that happen to you, it's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you. And you have two choices in life. You can grow bitter. You can say, I, 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 can't, I can't believe God would do this. And you can turn from God, the only one who can help you. And you can end your life miserable. Or you can say, you know what, this is horrible what's happened. I realize I live in a fallen world. I realize this is not God's ultimate plan. But in the meantime, until God heals everything on the other side, I'm going to use the things that happened to me to get the word out, to change lives. I'm going to turn my brokenness into a blessing to someone else. I'm going to turn this horrible situation, I'm going to turn these ashes into beauty. Amen. Your take-home truth on your outline is you can experience true joy even in the midst of suffering when you know that God has good plans for you no matter what the circumstances. God in all things works together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Father, we've heard your your message of hope. 
And God, I don't know about anyone else but myself reading this text. I'm encouraged that there's nothing to fear anymore. I don't have to fear death because death is actually a promotion. I don't have to fear bad things happening to me or my family. God, I I know things do happen. But Lord, here's the one thing I know from your scripture, that the things that happen to us can turn out to be something far more beautiful than we ever imagined. So Father, right now, and no one has to raise their hand for this, but Father, right now, I just want to pray for those who are going through suffering. Just like Paul, they're in a place that they didn't choose, nor would they would choose. But God, I pray that in the comfort of right there where they're at sitting, that they would say a prayer of God, turn this horrible situation into something beautiful. God, turn these chains into opportunities to get the good news out, to change lives, to change my own life. Father, we thank you. It's not what happens to us, but it's what happens in us. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit is in us, those of us who are believers, and he can change how we think about those things that happens to us. Final question, and we'll finish. Everyone's still praying. Would there be anyone here that would say, Timothy, you talked about the gospel, that... Jesus Christ, he died for my sins, he was buried, he rose again, and that it's, it's good news if you receive it. And pastor, I've never received it. There's never been in a time in my life where I personally said, Jesus, I believe that you're God, I believe that you died for me, and today I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive forgiveness, and I want to receive eternal life so that Just like Paul, I can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Anyone like that? No one looking around? Just raise your hand. You need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to pray for you. Father, you see the hearts. If there be one here that doesn't know Jesus, just reach out to him. Say something like, Jesus, please forgive me for running from you for so long. I ask and pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. I make you my Lord and Savior. I want my life to be this, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I'll be at the front. Father, you see the hearts. Thank you for all that you're doing and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. If you'd please.